0: As we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray. Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today, we continue our journey through the Gospel of Mark with a reading from chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, Little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was twelve years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. My friend Matt was having one of those days He'd been home all afternoon with his two young daughters while his wife ran errands, and nothing was going right. The baby wouldn't nap, and it was too cold and wet to leave the house. So finally, Matt decided to stick the children in the bathtub and let them splash around for a while. While the water was running, he stripped off their clothes, the baby's diaper, and pleaded with the three-year-old to use the potty before she got into the tub. He stuck the baby in the bath seat that kept her upright and then reached for the faucet to turn off the water. But when he turned the faucet, it came off in his hand and water poured unabated out of the spout. He fiddled with it for a minute, but it quickly became clear that this was not going to be an easy fix. The water in the tub was rising fast and Matt had no way to stop it. Frantically, he grabbed the plastic pitcher for washing the girl's hair and started bailing water from the tub to the sink as fast as he could. He transferred pitcher after pitcher of water, but just couldn't keep up with the flow. He took a break just for long enough to get the baby out of the tub. By this time, the toddler was running naked around the house, but that was the least of Matt's worries. And then he went back to bailing. Finally, he realized it wasn't going to work. And in a moment of utter desperation, although it was the last thing he wanted to do, he pulled out his cell phone and called his wife. When she answered, his words came out as fast as the water gushing from the faucet. Ann, you have to help me. The tub won't turn off and it's filling up with water. I can't bail it out fast enough. It's gonna flood the house. For a moment, there was silence on the other end of the phone Then quietly and calmly, Anne spoke. So you're saying the water is running in the bathtub? Yes, he said, and it won't turn off. Right, it won't turn off. No, that's what I just told you. Okay, Matt, one more question. Have you pulled the plug out of the drain? When the water is rising faster than we can bail it out, when the problem threatens to overwhelm us, when our options seem to dwindle before our eyes, it's easy to lose all perspective, to think we're on our own to find a solution. It's safe to assume that the woman we heard about today in this story from the Gospel of Mark felt utterly alone. She had suffered for years in isolation ostracized from her community because of a disease that designated her as unclean, unfit to be in proximity to others. Unable to bear children because of her ailment, she had no family, no value. She had spent 12 years bailing in vain, seeing doctor after doctor, spending what little money she had. She was desperate Desperate enough that when she heard about a young rabbi who had healed all kinds of unlikely people, she knew she had to see him. She waited until he was surrounded by a crowd because if he'd been out in the open, she never could have gotten close enough to him to touch him. She placed herself in the midst of the community, the crowd of people surrounding Jesus, believing that if she could get close enough to touch him, he could help her. In 1906, a woman in a New York City hotel contacted the hotel manager and told him she wanted to talk to a minister. The manager called Harry Marsh Warren, a pastor at a nearby Baptist church, but couldn't reach him. The next morning, the woman was found unconscious, a bottle of poison next to her. Warren visited her in the hospital as she lay dying. She said to him, I think maybe if I had talked to someone like you, I wouldn't have done it. This event prompted Warren to start the Save a Life League, the country's first suicide prevention organization. In the 100 years since, many such organizations have formed, including Crisis Hotlines and, in 2013, the Crisis Text Line, which allows people, many of them teenagers, to communicate with trained counselors through the familiarity and anonymity of their cell phones. When we are feeling isolated and alone, sometimes the hardest thing to do is to reach out for help. Yet if we can muster the courage and the energy to do so, we often find that making a simple connection with another person can help us see things just a little more clearly. When the writer of Mark's Gospel tells the story of the woman with the 12-year hemorrhage, he doesn't tell it as a standalone story. Instead, he brackets it with another healing story that in many ways is its complete opposite. The woman has suffered for 12 years. Jairus's daughter is 12 years old. And as far as we know, she has been healthy until this recent illness that now has her near death. The hemorrhaging woman is isolated and alone, cut off from her community, but because Jairus was the leader of the local synagogue, he and his family were surrounded by part of a faith community, surrounded by people who wanted to help and support them. And yet Mark weaves these stories together to tell a larger story of what it looks like to keep believing in the midst of desperate circumstances. And in both of these cases, it looks like reaching out and asking for help. The woman does whatever it takes, even using the cover of the community that had shunned her to get close enough to Jesus to touch him. Jairus goes outside his community to ask for help from this rabbi who has a controversial reputation, especially among religious leaders. Jesus honors both of these cries for help from these two very different people. I recently heard an interview with someone who had been in their field of work for nearly 30 years and for the last 10 had intentionally cultivated mentoring relationships with younger colleagues. What advice do you give them? The interviewer asked. She responded, I think the most important tool in anyone's toolbox is the capacity to ask for help, to acknowledge how important it is to own up to the things that are most challenging for you and to seek out help and guidance in that area. The other critical tool is to be a lifelong learner, to have a certain humility that there is so much we don't know And there is so much that others know that can help us. This advice reflects an understanding that asking for help is both an act of humility and an act of self-compassion. To ask for help is to admit our need, which is probably not an easy thing for most of us to do. But to ask for help also suggests that we believe we are worthy of help. This is what Jesus affirms in the woman with the hemorrhage, that she not only deserved physical healing, but also deserved the healing of her whole self, body, mind, and soul. She, who was an outcast labeled unclean, deserved help just as much as the daughter of a religious leader, so much so that Jesus delays his help of Jairus' daughter to help the woman. It is understandable if we think that belief or faith means that we never question what's happening, never doubt, never struggle. But throughout Mark's gospel, faith is rarely this straightforward. It's not a cause and effect proposition. In today's stories, we learn that to keep believing is sometimes to admit that we're at the end of our rope, that we need help from the people around us that we don't always know what to do next. According to Jesus, this is the essence of faith. Over 2000 years ago, when their land and their temple were destroyed and they were sent into exile, God's people fell into a dark and desperate place. It is from this place of exile that the Old Testament book of Lamentations was written. The passage most people know from this book comes from right in the middle. And it is beautiful and beloved, an expression of how to keep believing in the midst of desperate circumstances. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. God's mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness. If this sounds familiar, you heard it at the beginning of worship and... These words have been put to song in the hymn we heard earlier in our service. But in the book of Lamentations, these words do not stand alone. They are bracketed by some of the most painful, humble, doubt-filled texts in all the Bible. These words from Lamentations remind us that to lament— To name our pain and desperation is itself an act of faith. Because bringing our doubt and fear and suffering to God is to believe that God will help and to believe that we are worthy of God's attention and care. Over the next month, during this season of Lent, we are invited to come together as a congregation to ask for help, to admit what we don't know, and to name our need for healing and mending. We'll be doing this through this year's Carson Lecture Series. Each of our four speakers in this series will address a particular aspect of healing and mending our past in a way that opens up new possibilities for our future. To come and listen to these lectures is a way of admitting our need, of asking for help, of adopting a posture of humility and openness. It is also a way we express our trust that God is still at work in our world and in our church, healing and mending our broken places. On the day of the Columbine school shooting, Patrick Ireland, a junior at Columbine High School, was in the library. During the shooting, a shotgun pellet lodged in Patrick's brain, disturbing his vision, wiping out his ability to speak, and paralyzing the right side of his body. His foot was also badly injured. For a while, he blacked out, but when he regained consciousness, he had only one coherent thought, He had to get out of there. It took him three hours to drag himself across the library to a blown-out window. He eventually managed to pull himself up and jump from the window into the arms of a SWAT team waiting below. Over a year later, a long year of recovery, Patrick graduated from Columbine and gave the valedictory speech. In his speech, he admitted that it had been a rough year. The shooting made the country aware of the unexpected level of hate and rage that had been hidden in high schools, he said. But he was convinced that the world was inherently good at heart. He had spent that year thinking about what had gotten him across the library floor. Finally, he realized, what had gotten him across the library floor was that he kept believing, kept trusting. When I fell out the window, I knew somebody would catch me, he said. That's what I need to tell you, that I knew the loving world was there all the time. Amen.